Precious Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Refuge, our Mediator, our Priest, our Prophet, our King, our Jesus, our Savior. Precious Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the life he lived. We thank you that, Lord, he was perfect and we are not. We thank you that he died a death that was meant for all of us, Father. Precious Lord, we thank you that the grave cannot keep him. Death cannot keep him. Precious Lord, on the third day, he did rise again. He did defeat sin and death. He rose up in victory. Our Jesus. And right now, Father, he is sitting at your right hand. Our God is alive. Our Savior is not dead. And we thank you, Father, for him. We thank you that one day, one day, he is coming back to claim his home, to take us home, to take us to glory. And we will see him face to face, Father. Our faith will be made sight. So, Lord, until then, until that magnificent day, We pray that your spirit will continue to strengthen your people, your bride, the bride in whom you died for, the bride in whom you bled for, the bride in whom you have reconciled to God through your death. Spirit, encourage us. Spirit, strengthen us. Spirit, take the word that is preached today and apply it to all of our hearts. We all are in different places this morning. We all are dealing with different things this morning. But the gospel of grace can come in make a difference in our life, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're going through. Father, as I always pray every Sunday, I pray that I would move out of the way, that I would just be in the shadow, and the Spirit will receive what is taken and glorify you. You will be lifted up because of what is done here. Not me. It's not about Alex. It's not about us. It's about our King and about His glory. So Spirit, take the preach word apply out to the hearts of God's people. Christ in my mind. Amen. For the um, past three weeks, we have been looking at the road to Easter. You know, not our road to Easter, but Jesus' Jesus's road to Easter. And today, we come to the end of it. What's at the end of the road? It's the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ. Which is more than just a story. It's more than just a Sunday school lesson to teach our kids. It's it's, it's more than just a sermon topic. The resurrection is not a myth. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a parable. It's not some twisted religious speculation. The resurrection is historical. It happened. It happened. It is real. Now, I know none of us from personal experience can can relate to that, unless you are a different being than I am. None of us have witnessed a resurrection. None of us can can say that we knew a person who who died and was in a grave three days and then rose again. We don't know anyone like that in our lifetime. We haven't met anyone like that. So what category... Do you put the resurrection of Jesus in? Where does it belong? 
Christianity, people, is supernatural. The resurrection is supernatural. And just like the cross, the resurrection is very, very important. Why is that? Because if Jesus did not rise from the grave, you're still lost in your sin. You realize that, right? He had to rise again, not just die for our sins, but he had to come up out of the grave because if he didn't, what I'm doing here means nothing. Why are you even here? So the resurrection is very important. Second reason why is that through Jesus' resurrection power, you can walk and live in newness of life. You see, the end of the Easter road of Jesus, it marked a new beginning for sinful people like you and I. A new beginning. And what is that new beginning? It's the free free offer of a newness of life. A free offer of a newness of life. Now, what does this newness of life mean? Paul talks about it in Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles... Open them to Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ was baptized into his death? You are buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if you have been united with him in his death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we are no longer enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. But do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is God's holy, magnificent word. Amen. Amen. Newness of life. Walk in newness of life. And the first thing that Paul tells us about this newness of life is that he tells us what it's not. What is it not? You see here in these first four, these first four verses, Paul asks these questions. These questions that he asks, he asks these questions into in a response to a misunderstanding about his teachings about sin and grace. There were some that misunderstood the implications of grace 
and sin and its newness of life. You see in chapter 5, verse, verse 20, Paul says that now that the law, the law has come to increase, to increase sin, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Romans 5.20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Now what's the misunderstanding? The misunderstanding is that people thought this will, this will allow people to continue to live in sin just so grace would increase. But is that what Paul really teaching? Is that what these words truly mean? That I can, now I can continue to live in sin so grace may abound all the more? By no means. He says, how could we, who have died to sin, continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? We're baptized into his death. This newness of life you receive from Christ is not marked by continuing to live in sin. This is what Paul wants us to understand. And he goes on to call us to, to remember our baptism. Remember what it symbolizes. It symbolizes your union with Christ that you entered into once you received him as your Lord and Savior in saving faith. Amen. That in him you are now a new creation. The old has gone, right? The new has come. Saving faith is the right security clearance that sets you on the path to understanding this newness of life. And if you don't have the security clearance, you ain't ever going to understand Christianity. You ain't ever going to understand the gospel. You got to have a saving faith. Do you have it? Are you growing in it? You as a believer, you as a child of God, you as a son and daughter of the king, you were buried with Christ into baptism. Why? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, you too may walk in newness of life. Amen. Newness of life. Walk in it. For you have died to sin and should not continue to live in it. We were buried with Christ in his death and we were raised up in the newness of life. That's salvation. And through the power of the Spirit, you can now walk in that life, shielded with grace, unlimited amounts of grace. Let me ask you this question. This newness of life here, is it, is it just to come? Is it just to come? Is he talking about once we get to heaven, we will experience newness of life? Or do we, can we experience it here? Or is it still to come? We experience it here. We experience it here. You can walk in it here. The catch is that you won't ever experience it in its fullness until Jesus comes back. But you do taste of it. What do you think the resurrection stories were about that people have been sharing? Roy's resurrection story, Diane's resurrection story, Melissa's resurrection story. What is that? That's tasting of the life to come when we would truly be free from all sin, all hardships. But on this side of heaven, we taste of what that is going to be like when we get to glory. But you taste of it now. All those resurrection stories are about that. Tasting of this newness of life. Think about it like this. A child that has been adopted into a good family has been given a newness of life. Do you agree? Freely. A new home. Parents. Stability, 
safety, security, hope, love, acceptance, discipline, even a new identity because their last name changes. Now, does that child understand the implication of their adoption once they are adopted? Do they understand all those things at that very moment? No, they don't. As that child lives in that adoption, as that child walks in that adoption, their understanding of the implication of that adoption grows. And when it grows, they begin to see that all that stuff is a permanent, not temporary home. They're not my temporary parents. This is not temporary security. This is not temporary hope. This is not temporary love, but it's permanent love, my adoption. It's permanent. And the same is for each of us when we're adopted into the kingdom of God. Amen. Permanent. But you ain't ever going to understand it at that moment. You grow in your understanding of it as the Spirit changes you. Your baptism, what it symbolizes, it symbolizes something that is per- permanent. Your union with Christ is permanent. You ain't ever going to lose it. Ever. Your newness of life in Jesus is permanent. You ain't ever going to lose it. Ever. You are a child of God, a daughter of God, because of Jesus. And that is a permanent status that Satan cannot steal. He won't ever steal it from you. But as you walk in this newness of life, you grow in your understanding of those things. You see, there are benefits to our adoption. Benefits. And those benefits are marks to the new life. Now, we know that the new life is not marked by continuing in sin, so that grace may abound. But what is it marked by? Verse 5, chapter 6. For if you have been united with Christ in his death, in a death like his, we will surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. The first mark and benefit of this newness of life is that we are not dead to sin. We're not dead to sin. Paul says, you have been united with Christ in a death like his. And this happened when our old self was crucified with Christ. What is the old self? What is he referring to there? It's who you were in Adam. It's who you were before you came to know Christ. It's your former way of life. It's the fact that all of us were born into this world sinful. And whether our sin bent was towards self-righteousness or whether your sin bent was toward unrighteousness, all of us were born into sin. And not only born into sin, sin ruled over us. Let's put it this way. Sin was your pimp. It owned you, it beat you, and it abused you. That's where we were before Jesus. We didn't own it. It owned us. It was our daddy. And most of us were blind to it. That's who we were before Christ. We were enslaved to it. But now Paul says, for those who are in Christ, that old self has died, has been crucified, crucified with Jesus on the cross. And his death, people, was was credited to our sin debt. Credited to our sin debt. 
He was delivered up on the cross for your sins. And the purpose of his death was so that death might be brought to nothing. (coughs) Zero balance through his death. He slaughtered sin through his death. Our sin debt, we're never going to pay off. You think think our our nation's debt is huge. Our sin debt is greater. And it took the death of Christ to cancel that debt out. Nothing else would do. His death brought sin to a zero balance. And here's the thing. His death is not some lowly monthly payment that doesn't ever pay off the debt. It was paid in full, people, with all of his interests, with one sacrifice for you, for me. And for anyone who doesn't know him, that's what he did. What is the body of sin? Sin in its totality. All of its rule, all of its power, all of its dominion over us no longer exists. The result is that you are no longer enslaved to it. Your chains, people, have been broken. Your chains have been broken. You are no longer in bondage to it. The one who has died, the one who has been crucified with Jesus, has been set free from sin. Whether it's your self-righteousness, thinking you're better than everybody else, and if you have no issues, or whether it's your unrighteousness, and you do all kind of immoral things. When you come to Christ, he sets you free from that. Do you understand these words and what they mean to you? That means you are free from your personal sins, generational sins, sins that have been done to you by other people. Your former way of life no longer defines you. The person you used to be before Christ is now dead. You are not a product of your environment in Christ. You are not the black sheep of the family in Christ. You no longer have to live under the pressure of of being like your big brother or sister. You're not what was done to you as a child. You're not. No longer do you have to live out the role of being the bad child or the perfect child. You are free. Your identity is in Jesus and in him alone. Are you weary this morning? Are you tired this morning? Are you fed up this morning? Are you beat down this morning? Are you in need of hope this morning? Then come to Jesus and he will set you free. Paul says in verse 11 that you must consider yourselves dead to sin, dead to its voice, dead to its passions, dead to its false promises, because sin promises stuff to us. But it's death, people. It's not life. Now, here's something um, we should keep in mind. You are dead to sin even if you don't understand what that really means. And even at times when you don't even believe it. As you walk in your newness of life, you are growing your understanding of what that means for you. Remember, the child who is adopted does not fully understand his adoption at that very moment he is adopted. He grows in it. He grows in his understanding of it. And so as you walk in your newness of life in Christ, you will understand what it really means to be dead to sin. You will. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's when you come into the kingdom of God. And then you learn how to walk in that and what that truly means. The Spirit is the one who grows you, gives you understanding, shows you what it means to be dead to sin. 
All of us have what I like to call that one sin that we struggle with. You know, the one sin that we think is really holding us back from Jesus. And if we no longer had that one sin, then your relationship with Christ would be where it needs to be. You'd be a better Christian if you no longer struggle with that one sin. So what is that one sin for you? We all have it. So don't sit there as if you don't. What's mine? In college, I got addicted to a sin that is quite common to men. And if you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about. I just, just called it lust for the sake of for the, with the kids here. And as a, I was a believer at the time, but that sin had me. I couldn't shake it. And for the longest time, what Paul says in verse 6, I didn't believe. Because I wasn't experiencing it with this one particular sin. I was stuck in a cycle that I couldn't get out of. A cycle of, of falling into sinful pleasure. Then I was feel guilty about it. And then I'll make vows to Jesus. Jesus, this time I'm sorry. I swear to God, Jesus, this time I'm not going to do it again. Now I go a few weeks. Then I have a bad week. Then I'm back in the cycle again. Jesus, I'm sorry. But please forgive me, Jesus. I promise this was the last time. And you see where I'm going. Over and over a cycle for me with that one particular sin. Proverbs says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so is the man who repeats his folly. For six years of my life, that was me with that one particular sin. I kept going back. I kept going back. What happened to me? I had to let, I let other Christian brothers inside my battle. I stopped fighting alone. And over time, you know, God used those brothers to, to help heal me to help me understand the gospel, to help me understand what it means to be adopted into the family of God. And what I've come to understand about those six years of my life is that every time I return to the vomit of that sin, I never once truly washed my mouth out with the gospel. Never truly did. I would go back to the vomit, but I would never go to the gospel and wash my mouth out. And my problem was that I was desperately struggling to be free. And I never truly embraced the fact that in Jesus I have freedom to struggle now. And we all do. And this newness of life doesn't mean you're not going to ever struggle with sin because you will. But it does mean you would not continue to live in sin without any sense of conviction and the humility to repent of it. You see the difference? Living, being there to sin does not mean you will no longer struggle with sin because you will. But it does mean you are now convicted of your sin. And your conviction will lead you to repentance of your sin. Because you are dead to sin. And so I ask you, are you convicted of your sin this morning? Whatever your sin struggles may be, does your conviction lead you to repentance? Or is your sin just too comfortable for you? Is your sin still sweeter than sweet with no sense of conviction? In this newness of life in Christ, you have the freedom to struggle. Accept that. Your transgressions are now forgiven. You know what that means? Past, present, future sins are all forgiven. Even the ones you committed now in your mind have all been nailed to the cross. For your sins have been covered in the blood of Jesus. And your sins are no longer counted against you. Not even the ones you're going to struggle with when you leave here. Even those he went to the cross for. 
You've got to believe that. So as you walk in this newness of life, your sin struggles will never change your adoption status by in the Father. It won't. You know why? He already knows you messed up, but he loves you anyway. He already knows you're broken, and he loves you anyway. He sent Jesus because of that. You are eternally a son, eternally a daughter. And when the Spirit brings you to a place where you truly can believe these truths, man, it changed your life. It changed your attitude towards sin. You'll begin to hate it more. You'll begin to hate your self-righteousness. You'll begin to hate your unrighteousness. You'll begin to unmask sin, and you'll be able to see sin for what it truly is. It's death, and it's not life. It hates you. It despises you. And I say hate it and despise it back. That's what I say. You have to have the attitude. I'm sorry. There will also be more conviction. You will repent more. I love repentance, man. I love it. And you, you, and you need to see it as a gift from God. It brings, it, I, repentance to me brings, brings me great joy. It should do, also do the same thing for you. You have to have the attitude that you won't have the attitude that I'm going to sin so that grace may increase. You won't have the attitude when the Spirit brings these understandings to your life. See, the Spirit will also empower you to do what you could not do before you came to know Jesus. And you know what that is? You will begin to fight against the sin in your life. Your pride, your ego, your immorality, your addictions. Realize that before Jesus, you couldn't fight against those things. Because God's Spirit lives in you, you can. With the power of Christ. Paul says here in verses 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What is he talking about there? He's talking about you getting in the game to fight against your sin in your life. Notice I didn't say die for it, because Jesus already died for it. But we still struggle with sin. And now you're able to do what you couldn't do before. You can fight against it. As I grew in in applying these truths to my struggles with sin, and particularly that one sin, I came to a place where I I finally accepted the fact that the temptations of sin are going to always be in my life. And the temptations of that one sin is going to be with me until I go to the grave. I, had, I came to terms and accepted that fact. That that's going to be an eternal battle. I mean, it's going to be a lifelong battle for me with that particular sin. But you know what else I realized? Is that I didn't always have to give in to it. Amen. Through the power of the Spirit. I can say no, not today. I can say no, not today. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God will stand firm and fight. The people who know that God will stand firm and fight. Sin is an enemy of our Heavenly Father. And for those of us who know Him, for those of us who are now alive in Him, it is also our enemy as well. It is. Beloved of God, don't you know that in this newness of life you have in Christ, you are not just dead to sin, but now you are alive to the Father. You are now alive to God. Go back to verse 5 of chapter 6. For if you have been united with Christ in his death like his, 
we shall surely be united with him in the resurrection like his. Then go down to verse 8. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. The second mark and benefit of this newness of life in Christ is that you are now alive to God in Jesus. Paul says you have been united with him in his death like his. And we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because we're united with Christ in his death, the logical future is that we'll also be united with him in the resurrection. And this is not just pointing to the future resurrection that is to come, but he's talking about we experience that in this life, time, the present reality of it. Being united with Christ in the resurrection means in this present, in this present life, your life belongs to Jesus. It's life lived unto him. The newness of life is no longer lived on our terms is lived under the Lordship of Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. That's how we walk in the newness of life. It's under him and for him and through him. We actually can live in fellowship with Jesus now, in communion with Jesus now. You can have an intimate relationship with Christ in this newness of life. And guess what? That relationship, again, is a foretaste of what's to come in eternity. Those moments when you feel like you're in deep communion with God, that's how it's going to be in heaven for all eternity. Uninterrupted communion. Uninterrupted fellowship. So you're tasting, people, what's to come in glory. Are you tasting it? Are you enjoying it? When Jesus resurrected from the grave, he not only defeated sin, but he also defeated death. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's no longer in the tomb. As Paul says, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And he will never die again. Jesus does not repeatedly die for your sins. He does not do that. He does not repeatedly die. It was one sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice, once for all. As I said, past, present, future sins have been nailed to the cross. And you bear them no more. No more. Ever. Ever again. Blessed are those whose sins are no longer counted against them. And that's you, people. And so you can leave here today knowing that when you fall short this week, it's not counted against you. Blessed are those who live that way, who know that truth. It's been covered in the blood of Christ. Jesus resurrected from the grave, and then we know he ascended into heaven. And what is he doing now? He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Romans says he's making intercession for us still. And one day we know he will return. Think about this. Before you came to know Christ, you were dead to God. Think about that. Before Jesus called you into his magnificent kingdom, saved you from your sin, you were dead to God, cut off from God. And guess what else? And you are alive to sin. You see what Jesus has done for us? Because of Adam's fall in Genesis 3, people are spiritually dead and separated from God. We're all made sinners through Adam. 
But now you are no longer in Adam if you're a believer. You are in Christ. And in Christ, the reverse is true. The reverse of that is true. What do you mean by that, Alex? You're no longer alive to sin, but dead to it. You're no longer dead to God, but alive to him. The reverse is true. He came and reversed what Adam did and returned us back to what Adam was before the fall. He was alive to God before the fall. You do realize that. And he died when he disobeyed. And in Christ, we are now alive to God, dead to sin. He has reconciled each of us to our creator. We are now restored to God. We are at peace with the Father. No longer are we his enemies. We are his friends in Christ. How do you live a life that is alive to God? Paul tells us in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So how do you walk in this newness of life that is alive to God? It's through faith, people. Being empowered by the Spirit. Faith in the Son of God who died for our sins and who was raised up to make us right with God. Do you have saving faith in Christ? Do you know him? If you want to be alive to God, that's how you become alive to God. Otherwise, you are dead to him if you don't know Jesus. And you can't work your way to life. You can't do enough good stuff. There's one way we get to glory, and it's through Jesus alone. And that's it. And so I ask you, do you know him? Have you surrendered? Let Jesus give you your own resurrection story, and he will. All you got to do is surrender. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I'll surrender. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Now, if you already have done that, I think many of us are, have already surrendered. Now it's time for us to celebrate. Now it's time for us to celebrate this newness of life that we have in Christ by partaking of the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? Is it just a fancy meal? What is it? The Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ at the Last Supper. It is a spirit, it is a visible proclamation of the gospel. He says, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Now, this is the Lord's table. It's not my table. It's not the church's table. Therefore, all baptized Christians are welcome. Those who actively, actively trust in Jesus for salvation, who are willing to forsake their sins, and who are members of a congregation that proclaim the gospel, you are welcome to receive communion with us. Friends, neighbors, those who have not professed faith in Christ, we love you. We consider it the honor to have you here. Although the Lord's table is reserved for those who have faith in Christ, it is open for observation and a public display of our unity in Christ. And if you're not able to receive communion, this is very appropriate. We please use this time to meditate on what was preached, to pray, to reflect back on the worship, 
don't have to hang your head low. Just watch and observe. And parents, finally, parents will ask you not to let your child partake of the elements until they made a professional, a public profession of faith. And now we leave that to the oversight of the parent. And children, I encourage each of you to observe one of the most holy um, events, I mean, sacred events of our church. If you have been baptized and have not yet made a public profession of Christ, this is a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for you and call upon your life. The bread, I'm supposed to be behind the table. I'm sorry. I'm back here now. Cool. Okay, we're very informal here, so so if you want, so I'm very laid back. That's just my style. All right. So the Lord Jesus on the night he was on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, "Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same manner, he also took the cup. And having given thanks, he gave it to them as well, saying, this, is the cup of the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Please pray with me. Father God, we pray for this time that you, Lord, will come minister to us. I love the Lord's Supper and what it symbolizes for us, Father. It is a true picture of your death. And so in obedience, Lord, to Christ's command, we ask you to set aside these elements for their common use and bless them. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we uh, pass out the